everyone. Good morning. Um, we are not at just a teaser. Um, I just wanted to greet everyone and introduce our speakers and apologize deeply um, for the late start, specifically to our speakers. We're very sorry. My name is Korumane Koroye. I am the host for today's edition of the EcoBank FinTech Breakfast Series. You all look fabulous, by the way. Okay, especially the girlies. The girlies are looking good. I love this outfit and I love this outfit. Thank you for showing out. Okay, we can settle down. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about the event and then we're going to practice using our engagement tool for today. We're using a tool called Slido. If you've ever been to any Tech Cabal event, you'll be familiar with it by now, but we're going to go through it so that we're all set up and good to go when our speakers come up. Okay, um, so first let me talk about our speakers. Um, we have a few, we're missing one, but almost everyone is here. Lexi is here, Miss Yemi Kerry is here, um, Chinidu is here, Miss Tosin is here, and Daniel, our moderator, is also here. Thank you guys for joining us. Can we please clap for our speakers, our panelists? Um, let me just say that being on any stage, small or big, is not easy. Um, and please, it would be great to encourage them, ask questions too. This is a learning session. Okay, very important. Okay, let me talk briefly about Techabal. Techabal is a pan-African media publication. I serve as Techabal's managing editor. That's just a fancy title. I'm just a glorified manager. That's it. All I do is follow up on deadlines. That's really it. The real people that do the work are our reporters and Daniel is one of them he's our senior reporter please give yeah please appreciate him he's always chasing these big tech companies and asking them plenty of questions thank you for showing up Daniel okay let's pull up Slido and let's um let's practice using Slido okay this will require your device mobile iPad computer whatever it is that you have with you okay um so let's get ready you're going to go to To our online audience, we appreciate you. I celebrate grace all over there. Thank you. Okay, www. That will ask you to put in a code. The code is EchoBank BFSS2. EchoBank BFSS2. Yes, Slido, S-L-I-D-O dot com. This is where we're going to be sending in our questions for our panelists and our speakers today. Um, the code is EchoBank BFSS2. EchoBank BFSS2. Yeah, so when you, as soon as you get into the website, you will see, um, it, it can, you know, uppercase, lowercase, doesn't matter, but you see it bar that asks you to put that in. Um, are we good? Are we looking good? Are, is everybody in? If you're not in, say, wait on me. Okay, come on now, move quickly. Come on now. All right. Okay, so first, I will allow you guys to ask a question. Okay, my team at the back uh, put in another question, but I want you 
guys ask any question about anything, really. I'm willing to share my favorite color, but not my age. You can't know that, unfortunately. Okay. I might be a vampire years old okay so let's see if we can get a question in um any and by the way if you see a really good question you can upvote it so if you absolutely want me to answer a question that you see just there's a thumbs up sign next to the question you can upvote it okay okay well my name is Koro Mane or KK, never Koro. Please don't call me Koro. It does not mean anything in my language. Okay, Koro Mane is a full thing. Um, what is my status? What does that mean? Like, am I single or married? Wow. Wow, guys. Come on. Come on. This is a professional event. Come on. <laughs> um, I can't see this question here, um, but is today's event only about fintech or other tech? Get it? It's primarily, I mean, for fintechs, but um, I mean, fintech is connected to everything now. So really, it, it's open to everyone, but the focus is going to be on fintech startups. Um, okay, how tall am I? Wow, I'm 5'2", guys. I'm 5'2". <laughs> okay, we're likely to start at 9 a.m. actually. Okay, I think we, we have a sense of how this works. Okay, um, Team TC Insights, can I get the question for the audience, please? Will... <laughs> yes, there will be... There, <laughs> there will be food. <laughs> In what month did EchoBank launch the FinTech Breakfast Series? So the first edition, which there are months here, please select which one you think the answer is. Wonderful, it was in April. So well done to 48%, oh well, 46, it's April. So we can stop selecting this too now. <laughs> okay, so we've gotten a hang of it, yeah. So any question you have, for any of the panelists, whether they're up or before they come up, please use Slido um, to ask the question. Yeah? Okay. Um, do I need to run through any um, TC insights? No? Okay. So please give us a few minutes and we're going to get started um, and then we can get on the road. Thank you very much. I'll be back up again. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> More than ever, startups, fintechs as well as banks, are changing the financial landscape. One innovation at a time. In 2020, fintechs acquired over $25.6 billion in investments and transaction value of digital payments grew to over $5.2 trillion globally. Banks are also not left out. At the forefront is EchoBank championing of an African expansion through its industry-leading payment infrastructure, promoting partnerships through its open banking sandbox and APIs, whilst facilitating intercontinental trade through its network spanning 33 African countries and business outlays across Europe, America, 
and Asia. Today, financial services is about the experience and not the products. And the future of finance is collaboration, not competition. This is why it is important for banks and fintechs to come together to foster a stronger ecosystem. Because we are better together as partners. Presenting Echo Bank Fintech Breakfast Series. Partnering for a stronger ecosystem. More than ever, startups, fintechs as well as banks, are changing the financial landscape. One innovation at a time. In 2020, fintechs acquired over $25.6 billion in investments and transaction value of digital payments grew to over $5.2 trillion globally. Banks are also not left out, at the forefront is Bank. Championing a Pan-African expansion through its industry-leading payment infrastructure, promoting partnerships through its open banking sandbox and APIs, whilst facilitating intercontinental trade through its network spanning 33 African countries and business outlays across Europe, America, and Asia. Today, financial services is about the experience and not the product. And the future of finance is collaboration, not competition. This is why it is important for banks and fintechs to come together, to foster a stronger ecosystem. Because we are better together as partners. Presenting Echo Bank Fintech Breakfast Series. Partnering for a stronger ecosystem. More oh, we're really ready to start. Okay. Um so I would like to invite the MD of EcoBank, Mr. Bola Jilawal, to give the opening address. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Okay, good morning, everyone. And um, thank you so much for being here. And for those online, thank you as well. So earlier on this morning, I read a post online from a guy called, I think, Cyril Shonibari. And his own view is that the African fintech sector is on the path of exponential growth. Um, and it's quite interesting and instructive. So how can we as a country, how can we, how can we as um, an industry in Nigeria take advantage of the opportunities that we see? Um, and that's why I'm so excited about the discussions today. We'll be talking about corporate governance, we're talking about funds raising, and these are what you call the building blocks for success. So I'm looking forward to learning. I'm looking forward to sharing ideas with all of you. And most importantly, how we can all work together to more or less translate all the opportunities that we see into reality. And just as an aside, when we finish with all this, we're going to have refreshments downstairs, if you don't mind. But that's because we have an exhibition going called Amazing Nigeria. We have a wide range of pictures that we'd like you to see. And I'm sure that a lot of you will take pictures. And some of you would scan the QR code and also watch the videos. But a few of you will think about NFTs and how to monetize the potential that we have. So let's just keep thinking and let's keep working together to see how we can solve a lot of the problems that we see and also translate challenges into opportunities for growth and profitability. So thank you so much. And I look forward to learning from all of you today. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Okay, so in the first edition, um, we focused on how, well, helping fintechs understand how they can leverage strategic partnerships. Our first session, we're going to be talking about corporate governance. Now, corporate governance is important across tech startups, but for fintechs, they need to pay special attention to corporate governance. Within their startups, within their organization, consumer money, um, investor funds. So it's important to know how to properly. Daniel Adeyemi will be moderating it, and Tosin Iyayi, who is a partner at Aluko Anoyobode. So please let's welcome um, our, our first speakers for today's session. Thank you.
A few years down the line, your regulator calls you to say, look, you've flouted X, Y, Z. So at a very early stage of the life of your company, you need to start to think about engaging your regulator to know what exactly is required of you as an organization. And so when the company starts to grow, you start to expand. So when you grow even beyond that series A stage, for example, you then have um, a larger board at which you then start to put people who have specific um, expertise on your board. You have to, that is what corporate governance is about. It's not just to have a board for the sake of having a board. Okay, we need to have a board. No, who on board, who, who are going to add value to your organization. You need to be an independent person or a neutral person who will steer your company in the right direction, the affairs of the board in the right direction. Thank, thank you very much. That was very insightful. Thank you so much, Tosin. Um, at this junction, I'd like to add that you know, for everyone here and even those online, if you have questions, because we're going to take questions in the second half of this conversation from the audience, you can just send it to Slido, which was demonstrated earlier. So. Just as the questions come, just send them. So back to you, Tosin. Um, I remember you talking you know, at the beginning, you said oh, you don't need much. And I'm asking this question for someone that just started business. When you think about corporate governance, you know, these things you're saying, you think people are thinking about, oh, I don't have much. Or um, you know, many times you're starting a business and there's so many things you pulled from different places. How can, in practical ways, how can you know businesses or fintech companies um, that don't have a lot of resources, how can they put, uh, how can they abide or how can they um, engage in appropriate corporate governance practices? You know, because you're thinking about it's as simple as having, um, you know, ensuring that power is not constrained in one place. You know, in Little things as even having human resource, whether it's outsourced or not, even down to the policies. Uh, you're thinking, oh, I'm not a lawyer. Do I need to get someone? As opposed to just copying things off Google, right? <laughs> Which uh, is like the de facto. So how should people without like, or startups, I think they don't have a lot of resources. How should they think about it? Great. Okay. So for startups who are just setting out, you don't really have to expend a lot of money in order to comply or to have corporate governance structures. What you really need at that stage, like I said, is to actually have things clearly defined, know what policies are going to guide your company, your ethos, and just be sure that you're also complying with 
what your regulator requires of you. Those sorts of things don't really need finances. Of course, for your board, you don't necessarily have, your board members could be unpaid, you know, or maybe you just pay stipends as and when you're able to. Um, at the beginning stage of your company, some of your investors, like I said, could even just sit on the board with the with the future goal in mind without necessarily expecting to draw from the organization at that point. So you really don't have to spend a lot of money. The most important thing is to have structures and not just having structures for the sake of having structures, but to actually be doing what you have said you're going to be doing in those structures so that your regulator doesn't come after you. Yeah, thank you very much. What, what I heard you say is accountability, ensure you're accountable, which you know, certain persons would even gladly volunteer, <laughs> volunteer to do that because you know, people like to help out. So I think that's very useful. And I, I thought you at some point mentioned that they can come to you know, Aluko and everybody, but I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, but thank you very much. Uh, so a follow-up to that, we'll be still talking about corporate governance. When you look at the space, you know, startup space, you know, small companies, what mistakes do you see people making? What are some key mistakes that you see? So I think one thing, one mistake that a founder or founders can make is to think that their ideas alone are the things that are going to take the company to the next level. Your ideas are great and they're, they're very fanciful and all of that. But sometimes even these founders need to be managed. And that's why you need a board. You need people who are going to be checking off certain things, people who are going to be acting as checks and balances, which is why it's important to have a board. For example, um, in Nigeria, you can't have a, the MD of a company cannot also be, well, not just any company, a financial institution, and even a fintech cannot be the chairman of that same board. You need someone who's going to pull you back every now and again to say, look, you need to take a look at this thing that you're doing. This innovative idea is great, but we're going to run foul. Or this um, money that you want to take from this investor is great, but have we done our DD on this investor? Because one of the things that the CBN prohibits is actually for a fintech to be used as a funnel for money laundering. So you need to be sure that whatever you're doing, you're, you're doing your due diligence on investors. It's, it's, it seems attractive when someone wants to put money in your, in your, in your company. Of course, that, the whole idea is to grow and to become the next big thing. However, you need to be very circumspect. And sometimes the founder's ambition continues to drive, the, drive them such that they're not really willing to stop at any roadblock they just want to go and even when you're trying to advise them and pull them back they say look you either get on board or you get out no you can't do that you know so for best practices you need to actually ensure that you're not not only are you um do you have a board but you need to be listening to that board and that board needs to be deliberating on things like that. So you want to take money on, you need to be sure that the funds are not proceeds of crime. You need to be sure that you're not running afoul of the law. So you need to actually, as a, the founders, I find most times need to be managed, you know, needs to be managed by the other members of the board. Thank you very much. Um, that's very um, insightful. Uh, I think it was at the last edition of um, this event that uh, I think we, Someone had said that you know, in the financial sector, yeah, you're getting a lot, but one single mistake can cost you 
a lot. One wrong um, business transaction can cost you a lot. So it's and as much as you know, these companies want to grow, you have to be very mindful. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and well, you've been saying but 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 since uh, I knew we'd have to come to it when I was a bit younger. When I heard but, I just think about public companies. Of course, I know that it's not just public companies that have board members. And more importantly, earlier this year, something I've noticed is anytime there's probably an issue with a company or there needs to be an investigation, one of the things, one of the findings or recommendations is either a company should have a board, right? which sometimes I'm most surprised. I'm like, oh, they didn't have a board, right? But then I remember that oh, it's a startup, or you need to probably reconstitute the board. So it shows that the board of directors are very important. And so if they're very important, I'm curious how should um, startup founders, players in the space think about their board? Like who should they select? Uh, yes, it's important to have some of your investors, right? I think it's even a requirement. Some people would you know, invest and ask for a board seat, but beyond that, well, how should they think about that? Great, okay, so it's important to think about the people who make up your board. Like I said earlier, it's not enough to have a board because your regulator says so, or because um, good co corporate governance practices demand so. You need to have a board and make sure that board members are actually people who are adding value to that organization. They're not just people who are just on the board just for the sake of having a name and saying, this is my board of directors, no. The board needs to meet in um, on a, uh, frequently, so maybe like once every quarter to actually discuss the affairs of the company because matters, the day-to-day -day matters, things can be done by the founder, the MD. However, when it comes to taking certain decisions, even to review the things that are being done, the board needs to meet. And you need to have people who are adding value, like I said. You need to have people who have a little bit of experience of running businesses or engaging in um, organizations. So for example, if you're thinking of having a chairman for, on your board, you need to think of someone who has probably also midwifed an organization in the past, someone who has played in that space or someone who you know has good business acumen, who can steer the direction of the board in, on the right track whenever they seem to be going off or whenever there's a disagreement because we're human beings, there are always disagreements as to methods and ways of doing things. You need to think about diversity. You don't want to have an all-male board. <laughs> you need to think about diversity. It's very, very important. You need to have, and by the way, it's actually, um, there are studies that show that companies that uh, are gender diverse have, um, have success on the long run. They seem to be a lot more sustainable. Even the investors look at things like that. So for example, when people want to invest, especially foreign entities, they look at your ESG, you know, so E being uh, environmental, social, then G governance, they look at your ESG and see how much your company is aligning with ESG and to see whether you're actually doing those things. So for example, if you if they come and they want to put money in your organization and they see that maybe you have a board of seven people and no female or just one female, they may not really take you seriously. So you need to think about gender diversity in populating your board and not just having uh, gender diversity, but of also ensuring that the people who you're putting on board are actually going to be adding value, people who are going to be making meaningful contributions when you have meetings. 
Thank you very much. That's a very important point. Um, it's an important table to shake, right? It's important to have women um, and just make it diverse beyond the women also a diverse board because when you think about it, a company is a... Uh, Sorry, and a workforce as well, a diverse workforce. True, actually. <laughs> yeah, a diverse um, workforce because a company is made up of different parts, seven different parties. So it's important to factor that in. And, you know, just to touch on the point you made, I was looking up, I read, it, according to a 2015 African Development Bank report, uh, the, I think only 12% women, um, boards generally in African companies were made up of just 12% of women. And in terms of countries that are ranked high, I think Ghana had the most, which is about 19%. Then, um, so it was Kenya first, then Ghana, then I think, some other country, Nigeria was probably somewhere down that list. Um, but that was a 2015 report. I'm curious about whether there's been any more recent one done, or maybe they should do a recent one to find out what that looks like, because the world is definitely a different place than what it was in 2015, but definitely very important. Thank you very much. So we've spoken about the board, very important, uh, but even in the board, the chair, person of the board is very important because it's somewhat similar to how you say the CEO of the company is very important. And I'm curious, how should you think about who should be the chair person of the board? Should it be a, um, permit me to say, a godfather kind of person um, who's able to, you know, or someone who has deep networks or connections, right, to be able to pull certain strings? So how do you think about it? Because I know very certainly I've heard I know that there are dynamics around like the board. You need to ensure that different parties are well aligned. So how should the companies think about this? So when you're thinking about a chairman, the most important thing is to think about capacity, right? Now that person may be, may or may not be a godfather. You know, I don't, <laughs> the term alone, but really and truly when you're thinking about um, your board, the, the chairman of the board, the most important thing is to think about what the person brings to the table. It's good to have someone with a strong network because they can actually pull in the required resources or attention that you need as an organization. So that's important. Maybe not necessarily a godfather type person. And it doesn't even have to be only your chairman who has um, a large network. You need to have at least one or two people on your board who are able to um, reach out who have a large network who can reach out to even your regulators as well you know because sometimes companies do things and they get into trouble that person may or may not be your chairman but the most important thing is that chairperson has to be someone who is firm enough and um, in companies chair, chairmen have um, casting votes when there's like a tie or something so you need to be sure that it's someone who is objective someone who decisions when it comes to businesses and someone who the members of the board would respect and defer to in such situations. So those are things you actually need to look out for in the chairperson of your board. Yeah, thank you very much. That's very important. You know, these days when I hear like news of uh, maybe someone joining the company, or I look at startups and I say, oh, this person is on board. Just by looking at, um, you know, the person, I'm like, hmm, these guys are good. Right, because by getting a certain caliber of persons on the board, you're able to, it just saves you a lot of stress 
because you have people that can give you advice and beyond even advice they're able to make a few phone calls and actually even find out what is really happening because i mean in nigeria in africa sometimes someone is telling you this is the problem <laughs> but then there is a bigger issue or there's something else so um, it's definitely very important and it just goes on to buttress your point about the fact that ideas are not enough it's not just enough to have an idea when you start bringing it to life there are a number of obstacles that you need different parties to help uh, take care of so at this point we like to move over to we'll move over to the q a session so i'm sure that people in the audience must have sent in their questions uh, yeah we have thank you very much Okay, I think it's gonna be projected soon. I can see it there, but difficult to Okay. Okay, so I'm going to read the one, ask you the question I can see the most, the clearest, which is the shortest one. And what extent can the board interfere with the running of the so I think person is curious about like how much influence can they have because you know at the helm of the company is the CEO. And then you have a board, so the person is probably yeah, conscious about how much influence. So in terms of influence, it's really um, the, the, the board takes decisions for the company, right? Of course, there's a CEO who is involved with the day-to-day -day running of that company, but there will be certain decisions that can only be taken by the board at the level of the board. But in terms of the day-to-day -day running of the, the company, the board doesn't necessarily have to get involved. Okay, thank you very much. So what I'm hearing you say is, of course, there's, there's strategic conversations. Um, yeah, right when the company gets aligned, but day to day, of course, the board members have other things. To yeah, do. that's what the CEO is there for. Yeah, that's what he's going to do. The CEO is there. So, okay. So I'm kind of struggling to read this. So I'm just going to defer to uh, a question I had before, just to be sure that. Okay, so um, a question I have is, um, I'll give this scenario first. So earlier in the year, I was having a conversation with an investor in a company, and you're just talking about people had reached out, employees had reached out, as is the case now, talking about what is going on in the company, what is not right, and all of that. And, you know, I said a lot of things, the investor spoke back, and one thing stood out to me, which is, oh, she said, these people have never come, nobody has ever raised this up, right? Meaning, like, she's not heard of it, or he or she has not heard of it. And I thought, hmm, the first thing that came to mind, do those people even know that, you know, you can, esca can esca escalate such matters upwards? Because many other times you're working in a company and all you see, the ceiling you see is the CEO, right? You don't know that there is more. And interestingly, what I now did was when, you know, anytime people reach out, I ask, oh, like, is there anybody else you can reach out to or how can you ask? And then most of the time people are like, I mean, I don't know. And what happens really is man, when there's no way to voice out, you know, what is wrong or right, people typically just say, it's not my company. <laughs> Let me pack my bag. I'm going. If it's too much for me, so I'm curious. Um, it's not just about whistleblowing, but just about like the channel or flow of information. Uh, because there's a reason why there's a board. There's a reason. Why. 
um, how do you think companies can do a better job of ensuring that I know employees know that um, or this flow of information between the um, employees. percentage of shares is advisable to give to them and i think at this point it's i mean i, I know that board members because i'm board of advisors so first of all is there a dichotomy between the two and also the point about giving shares i yeah i think that's so those are parts of the things that you so the, the board advisors and the board of directors are very different yes but for your board advisors if i heard the question correctly um, in terms of shares, those are things that you would agree even before they come on board. You may, or so some, sometimes that's the way of remunerating them by 
allotting shares to them in that organization. Well, those are things that need to be pre-agreed before the common bond so that, and it's just for the sake of transparency as well. Yeah, so I, I think the person, well, I know the person was hoping for a more, it's like, tell me how much I should give them, but- That's a business decision. <laughs> Yeah, I should probably see her at the office, <laughs> not here. <laughs> I mean, it's a decision that the company will, will have to make. You know, it's a business decision for the company in the sense that it's not really um, a question. But of course, you can't just put all your, give all your shares to one person or majority of your shares because that person has rights tied to those shares. So those are things that you also have to think about when you're allotting shares to people. Yeah. Thank you. And also depends on how much value the advisor is bringing on board. But I'm sure you figure it out. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Uh, this next question, I think this person might be in a spot. It's like, what's the procedure for adding or removing a honorary chairman on the board of a company? <laughs> so, what's the honorary chairman? Well, there's, um, you have to meet, the board will need to meet and um, agree that, because he's still on the board, there's a process for removal of directors or members of the board of directors. And you have to just make sure that you comply with the process of removal so that the person does not come back to sue you and say, I was not removed properly. So that's just it. It's not... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like just a meet talk and, you know, Agree. I guess if all other so parties, have to vote. yes, there's like by voting and by all voting. of that. So whoever you are, just talk to other people, rally them around, and <laughs> either add or I remove. gang up against you. No, I said rally, not. <laughs> but yeah, um, but you have to do things properly, and there's procedures under um, company laws that um, provide for how board board members are removed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It has to be followed strictly. Yeah. Thank you. Um, next question. So, I said asking, how liable are board members when things go wrong? I mean, can you say that again, please? Wait, I'm reading. How liable are board members when things go wrong? I mean, what is the extent of their culpability? Can they be sued alongside the company? This person is really. <laughs> so to start with, let's um, have get something clear. Board members are not necessarily owners of the company. And even in terms of liability, right? Uh, members of a company or the owners of a company are only liable to the extent of their holding in that company. That's one. Having said that, when things go wrong in a company, is the company that you will sue, not the board members. Of course, except you can now, and I don't want to get all, um, Start speaking legalese now, but unless, of course, the, the, um, you, you, you can find that maybe the individual directors have done something that the board, you know, did not sanction or something like that, then you can now say that maybe a, a in fact, that's even a minority, a shareholder who can bring that kind of action against a director or against the other members of the board. But when a company is in trouble, the directors or the board members are kind of separated from the company because the principle is that a company and its owners are separate. It may be the owners, but they're not the same thing as a company. A company has a life of its own. So 
if there's any issue in the company, it's that company that needs to answer for its um, maybe breach or whatever it is. Yeah, thank you very much. So, I mean, Tosin specializes in litigation and dispute resolution. So, <laughs> in case you're about to sue, <laughs> you no, can... but you know, disputes can always be resolved. Yeah, so yes. just come to her, she will help. We you. like to sit across the table to find alternative means. We don't always have to go to court. Yeah, we don't have to fight like that. So, <laughs> thank you. And uh, this uh, next one, the person is asking, and well, I didn't know this was a thing, but said there is a concept that boards are dead weights that tend to slow innovation. You know that if that's the concept. Anyone familiar with that concept here? Well, I've so heard you, that before. Yeah, good. So, what's I've, your view? So, I don't think so. Sometimes it may be that way, but like I said, sometimes a founder has this vision and just wants to go, and it's that vision that continues to drive them or even the ambition because oh, I'm seeing my company as the next um, Fortune 500 company. My company is the next hottest thing in Nigerian FinTech space. So, but the thing is that the, the whatever ideas or innovation that the founders may, may be uh, conceiving in their minds, they always have to run it by the board. And the board is there to provide checks and balances. So they're not necessarily a clog in the wheel. And that's why, so your board meets maybe quarterly or something to discuss these things. And the whole essence is just to be sure that the founder is being checked and that the founder is not just running based on uh, emotions and saying, oh, I need to get this done. I need to get that done. The, 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 because the, the function of the board is to ensure that things are being done properly. One of the functions is to ensure that things are being done properly. So they're not necessarily slowing down innovation. That's not to say that because, I mean, you, you, that would be the case if maybe every week the board is coming up with something, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. But there are times that it is actually very necessary for a board to step in to say, no, we see, that, we see where you're going, we hear what you're saying, but we've, we've been in this situation before, or we've been in business longer than you. We don't think this is the best course to to to, to in these circumstances. So they're not necessarily um, hampering innovation. It's, it's a necessity and it's best practice. Thank you. So whoever asked the question, have you is that they're not dead They're just slowing them down. Slowing them down. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you very much. Um, away from the question of our board, someone is asking, um, beyond setting a functional board, are there other key aspects of corporate governance? Yes, um, beyond the board, corporate governance, it has to do with the policies that the company uh, goes by the ethos of that company organization. What, so there are things that as an organization, you should say that we'll do this. And there's some things that as an organization will say, we're not, we're not going to do this. And as a FinTech, don't forget that you're regulated and um, the central bank can come heavily on you. That's even if you're not, if you're, if you're, if you're a public uh, company, you also have the stake as well to contend with. So it, beyond having a board, there are different things. So requirements for an organization, you have um, reporting obligations, you have to have your financial statements and all of that. You have to ensure that you're being audited, that your accounts are being audited on an annual basis. So those are things that you need to do. And those are not necessarily board functions, but things, systems that, structures that the company has to put in place for transparency and accountability. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, just acting ethically is actually, it's a thing, it's a very important aspect. And I think something that's fascinating is that many of the changes that have been introduced to corporate governance has been as a result of, you know, someone acting unethically. For example, early 2000, when the Aaron scandal and then the disturbance Oxley Act, which made things more, more scrutiny to companies, especially public companies, and all of that, you know, um, the evolution or separation of power, chairman, you know, cannot be CEO, all of that, even down to um, how long audit companies can audit, um, um, can work with a company, all of that. So um, definitely just acting ethically, which seem like something that's very straightforward, is a major component of corporate governance. Or like in Nigeria, we say, use your church mind, right? Just do the right thing. And exactly. that would. <laughs> and like you said, you know, in Nigeria, we don't, uh, the role of the MD and the chairman are separated and the persons are actually separated. I know that in the US, they tend to have this chairman MD thing going on all in one person, but in other climes and in Nigeria as well, it's, it's separated. And in fact, um, the uh, BOFIA, that's the Banking and Other Financial Institutions Act, actually stipulates that it's in black and white. The, they have to be separate persons, separate individuals. All right, thank you very much. These two questions seem quite similar, so I'll read them out. But so this person asking, does constitution a capable and diversified but guarantees success of a fintech? Let's hold this. Then this is the next person saying, it's always said that the main goal of the company is to make profits and that doesn't always guarantee success. Which you prioritize? I'm even confused. <laughs> I'll take it together. <laughs> um, it's correct. You, the fact that a company um, has good corporate governance does not necessarily guarantee that it will be profitable. But at the same time, it will almost guarantee you success. On the, on, the, on the long run, yes. It makes your company sustainable on the long run because at the end of the day, when your investors are coming in, they want to see certain things in place. And um, if, the, if those things are not in place, they, they, they're, they're happy to walk away from, from that organization, even giving you a, a time. So it's very, very important to have certain corporate governance structures in place. Will that guarantee profit? Maybe not immediately, but if your company is successful on the long run, it will eventually become profitable, I hope. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for adding that time horizon factor. Because when you say successful, when you say profitable, I mean, how are you talking one year, two years, five years? Are you talking 10 years? You know, those are long things. Yeah, some so companies things. come in and um, as they say, they blow immediately, you yeah. know, and for some companies, it may take longer. I guess sometimes it's um, time and chance, right? And the kind of innovation that you're bringing in. So those are things that actually play a role and the, um, the climb in which you're operating. You have to also factor all those things in. Those are things that impact on your profits. Yeah, so just, if I ask that question, just factoring time into it. Um, yeah, thank you very much. So I think this next question, the person might have joined a bit afterwards, um, but it's still important. This is asking, are board members paid salary or just allocated a share of the company's holdings? So, Board members don't actually have to hold shares in a company. 
salaries also no. So there's some, so for the, the MD and the ex, people who hold executive roles, yes, they are on a salary, but for non-executive members of a board, they don't earn a salary, but you, of course, when they sit, they earn allowances for sitting and things like that, but they don't necessarily draw. And you could, they don't also have to own shares in that company. The owners of the company, apart from the founder, who obviously is the owner, and sometimes the founder may not necessarily even be sitting on the board, but the members of the board don't necessarily have to hold shares in the company. Okay, so I know that board members tend to pay like sitting allowances. Does that work? It depends on the arrangement. With the, for, for startups, I don't know. I mean, if the company is still struggling to break even, at that point in time, the list of your worries is sitting allowance or whatever stipend you're going to be earning. It's actually to come, you're, you're being brought on board for what value you're adding to the to the board. Yeah, so just to have a question, just work it out with the board member. And, and these days, you, I mean, while people's time are very valuable, the good thing about um, the last few years is that now you now have many things happen online. So you don't have to have to travel to a physical location of to course. have this of conversation. Course. A lot so, of board meetings happen virtually these days. Yeah, so. Thanks to COVID. Well, we're thinking COVID now. <laughs> but yeah, I guess some things, you know, definitely thanks to COVID. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. That's definitely very helpful. I see this question staring at me. It seems like the one we answered before. Um, how can the founder handle crisis within the board? Now, it's not a specific question, and I don't know if there's anything you want to say about it. Maybe the person is currently facing crisis within his board. So, crisis within the board. So, to start with, you need to, that's why it's important to, okay, so I imagine the person is already facing a crisis, but, you know, <laughs> It's important to um, obviously know the kind of people that you're bringing on board to be members or to, to be directors in your organization. But when there's a crisis, I'm sure, again, if you have um, like a charter, for example, the early, a company in the early stages may not necessarily have a board charter, but those are things that, it's, that are very important to put in place or to even just start noting down how the board intends to deal with certain things. And a lot of the time you find that conflict resolution and things like that are dealt with in, in such a documents. So the, it would depend on whatever you have agreed as, a, as at the beginning of your organi um, at the beginning of uh, setting up your board, those are the things that would now come to play when there's a crisis or when there's a dispute in the, in the company. But really most of the time you just have to keep having meetings, meetings and upon meetings. And that's why you have a chairman as well on the board who will sort of provide like a, like a stability factor and sort of just try to resolve um, issues amicably between board members. Yeah, thank you very much, Tosi. I guess, you know, board members are also human beings and anywhere they are human beings, there's just- It's bound to be <laughs> conflict. conflict. And, you know, it could be with board member, it could be with the chairman that she's saying, Meet. Like person so, that wants to take out their honorary chairman. So yeah, but if you have crisis or anything, just go meet Tosin. She's <laughs> she's expert at that. She would yeah. Sure, I'm, I'm happy to help. <laughs> yeah, but thank you everyone. We've come to the end of the session now, and it's very insightful learning about you know better corporate governance practices. Thank you everyone for listening. 
after this, thank you, Tosin. So after this, we'll be going on a short break. So please go get something to drink or to eat. All right, thank you. and we don't want to change that. So sorry. Apologies. Um, thank you to Daniel and um, Tosin. That was a fantastic session. We're ready to learn some more. Who's excited to learn? Yay. Okay. Let's sit down so we can get this party started. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sorry about lying and deceiving you guys about the break. But there will be a longer one after this session. And there'll be food. I actually saw mini muffins outside. It's looking good, guys. It's looking good. Okay, thank you guys so much. That session was 
pretty, pretty insightful. Am I right? Yes? Yes? Thumbs up. Did we enjoy that session? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to move quickly ahead to the next session. Um, we're going to be talking about fundraising, how fintechs can effectively raise funds. Um, if there's one thing you need to know, it's that Nigerian startups, especially fintech startups, account for up to at least 70% of the um, total amount of funding that the entire continent has seen. So we're clearly doing something right, but as more fintechs come into the market to address a lot of financial services needs, um, it's important to know how to raise money. And we have a really great um, panel for this. So I'm gonna invite the speakers up and the moderator. Um, so moderating this session is um, Osaho, who is the group head consumer payments at Echo Bank. Thank you. Please clap them up, thank you. Um, and he'll be joined by Yele, who is co-founder and CEO of Duplo. Lexi, general partner at Northskin 22. Chinedu, managing director at Missouri Solutions Limited. And Ms. Yemi Kerry, co-founder at Rising Tide Africa. Thank you guys so much. Good morning, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the first section on corporate governance. My name is Osaha, and I head up consumer payments for Echo Bank Group. And we're going to be speaking about fundraising in the fintech space. You know, when we um, started this fintech breakfast, we wanted to do things that created value for the ecosystem. And this particular topic is one that had been coming up over and over again. In 2021, about $5.2 billion flowed into uh, African tech startups in the form of venture funding. And about 60% of that amount was to fintechs. Now that's not a surprise because it's a very attractive sector. A recent report that was published by McKinsey and Company um, in August this year put it at about four to $6 billion in terms of revenues that the fintech firms have earned in 2020, and they project that that could go up 8x by 2025 to up to $30 billion. So it's no surprise that people are interested in this space. Now, at the same time, on the global landscape, when it comes to investing, this year, there has been a bit of a slowdown. Uh, some major fintech unicorns have had to take a haircut to their valuation in order to be able to close the funding rounds that they were in. So this panel, We'll talk about what's happening on the African fintech landscape, both from the perspectives of operators and investors. I'm joined by a distinguished panel of speakers here, uh, and I will introduce them quickly. To my left here is Yele, who is the co-founder and CEO of Duplo, which is a Y Combinator-backed fintech firm that focuses on B2B solutions for payments. And um, they recently closed the funding round, so you will have some interesting perspectives to share. Uh, but we also have Lexi, who is the general partner for Norskin 22, which is a tech growth startup fund that is um, backed by up to 30 um, unicorn founders. And um, they are focused on helping some very, very innovative and disruptive businesses in Africa scale up. We have on my right-hand side, Chinedu, 
who's the managing director for Missouri Solutions, which is a startup um, business solution provider that is focused on the SME space. And then also Yemi, who um, is the co-founder of Rising Tide Africa, which is a movement that was initiated to improve the, or should I say increase the participation of women in angel investing as an asset class. And um, she's also on the board of advisors, or should I say board of governance for Lagos Angel Network and the Afri Africa Angel Groups as well. So very interesting speakers who are going to be sharing their perspectives. And um, I'm going to start off here with um, Yele. And what's going to happen is each of these speakers will speak for about five to seven minutes. Uh, and then when they're all done with the first round of um, speaking, then it will be open for questions. I do want to encourage you to start sending your questions via Slido um, because we'll accumulate them. And that once they're done with the first round of um, speaking, then we'll get into the questions. So with that, I'll hand over to Yele, who will um, give, give us a little bit of perspective on this. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Asaha. Uh, good morning, everyone. So I've been fighting malaria the past week, so my voice is a bit uh, shaky. Um, but I'm uh, very glad to be here. Um, I really hope my, some of my experiences will be useful for some founders here today, this morning. Like Asaha said, my name is Yele Oyekola. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of a company called Duplo. Deploy is a B2B payments company investor of Lagos. We enable businesses to simplify their account payables, account receivables, and reconciliation as well. Uh, we've been around for just over a year, um, and we went live sometime in January of this year, so it's still under a year. We've gone through two rounds of funding. Um, I'm not an expert in fundraising at all, um, but I think I'm gonna have some experience or tips that might be helpful for some founders here today. Um, so the way I would just like to speak about this would be in three parts. Uh, one would be uh, what founders need to know about fundraising. Uh, two would be some of the challenges that founders and my founder friends are facing uh, trying to raise money across different rounds. And then lastly would then be how do you actually close the round? Um, so we have been through two rounds of funding and um, what founders need to know. So one is why should you raise money? Um, if you don't raise money, you can't grow, um, especially if you're running a tech business. You have a lot of businesses that are able to, to bootstrap, uh, but right now things are very competitive. You have a lot of companies trying to solve the same problem the same way. Um, so for you to get to a point whereby you can be profitable, you might need to actually raise money. Uh, that's one. Uh, two is when should you raise money? Um, you have a lot of founders, including ourselves, who raise money quite early. Uh, when we hadn't figured out the market, uh, we had no clue what we were doing. Um, I think we raised our first round uh, two months after we launched. And this can be a bad thing sometimes because we actually made a pivot uh, with Duplo. Um, so only raise money when one, you are sure of what you're trying to solve. Uh, you understand how big the market is. And you actually have a solid team that is trying to solve that problem as well. Um, three is uh, how much should you raise? Uh, you have a lot of founders who go to presentations and go to pitches and they're saying, we're trying to raise $2 million to, for five months of runway or 12 months of runway. And many times this isn't the right way to pitch investors. Um, there has to be a goal uh, for that money. So we're trying to raise $5 million to achieve so, so, and so over the next 12 months. Um, I think that's more effective than just basing that off your own way. And uh, lastly is in terms of valuation, um, it's a very touchy subject. Um, but what we're seeing right now is that a lot of companies are going through uh, significant decline in valuations. Um, 
I think only raise that evaluation that you're sure that you can actually achieve over the next 12 months, 18 months before your next round of funding. Uh, so that's one, that's the first section. And then the second section is uh, some of the challenges I'm seeing um, ourselves at Duplo face uh, when we're raising our seed round, um, some of my founder friends as well. Um, so one is we're seeing a significant, like I said earlier, decline in valuations. DDs are taking forever to close. Um, deals are taking about a month or six months, sorry, six weeks are taking about three months now to close. So we closed our seed round uh, within, I think, about six weeks. That would never happen now, in my opinion, um, just because things are now stricter, investors are looking for much more solid metrics. Um, so things are very different right now, and a lot of founders are struggling with the um, with the environments right now. Um, thirdly, as well, is that we're seeing we're seeing investors dig incredibly deep into your numbers. So a lot of founders in Nigeria or in Africa tend to con confuse GMV, for example, with revenue. Um, and we're seeing investors ask, is that actually revenue? How do you calculate that revenue? Um, so I think founders need to also be very careful in how they portray their numbers uh, to avoid any issues with investors because it's a very small ecosystem, news go around. Um, so we have to be very careful in how we portray our numbers and metrics to these different investors. Um, and then the text section that I would speak about is, so how do you close around? And this will be based off uh, my own experience at Duplo. Um, so we had, we had launched our first round um, last year, August. Peter there led the pre-seed round. What's up? Um, and um, that took about, I think, about a month to six weeks to close. And then we then went for a seed round after YC. Now, I think as a YC company, it's much, much easier to raise money um, than not. Um, so my experience is quite skewed, uh, to be honest. Um, but I think the three main things that investors are looking for. Uh, one is how solid is your team? Have you guys done this before? Is there any key insight that you guys have in this market? That might be very interesting. Um, and how much experience do you have as well? So that's one. Two is how big is the market? Um, everyone keeps saying there's a lot of fintechs, fintech is getting out of the money. It's just because the market is nasty for fintech. For example, at Duplo, when you think of business payments, it costs across BMPL for businesses, uh, international payments, collections, reconciliations. It's a massive market when you tell investors that. Um, and I think lastly is momentum as well. So how fast have you grown in the previous months? Um, so we were very lucky when we raised our proceeds round because we had no, uh, it was very early days. Um, but I think we capital within our proceeds round were very bullish on um, the team, the market size, and we're able to close that proceed round then. Um, I think something else that I see a lot of founders doing that works is actually using your angel investors or your pre-seed investors to close a seed round. So I remember vividly when we were going for a seed round, uh, we capital had written a detailed memo on Diplo about 30 pages. Uh, I didn't pitch much really. And that was the memo that I used to close a seed round because every investor that reached out to me, I'll just be like, yeah, this is Diplo, go read it. And that was very helpful um, to close our seed round. So I would say that please use your current investors um, very closely because they um, they also want to close around because it helps them, the valuation increases. So try and keep them close. So right now, what we're doing now is um, we're at seed stage, which we're going for a series A soon. Well, you see how it goes. 
Yeah, sure. And um, I think what we're trying to do now is I'm trying to engage with current investors and potential investors. Um, I go to the States quite often to just meet them in person um, because that's where literally the funding is. So trying to build those relationships early on before you start raising money, this is very important as well uh, for founders. I'll just pause there and then pass it to Lexi. Okay. And, and uh, Lexi, I don't know if you want to share some perspectives on yeah, maybe I'll, I'll first give a little bit of introduction on, on what we're doing in the market. So I've personally been investing in Africa tech, um, especially Nigerian technology companies for about 10 years now. Um, we invested in some of the, the first rounds of companies like Paystack and Flutterwave, Migo and Pharma. So some of these companies that were kind of the, the first technology companies really, I think, to, to lay the rails for everybody that has come after them and, and also spun out a lot of incredible talent in the process, which has given the Nigerian ecosystem, um, I think, a huge heads up advantage to relative to the rest of the, the markets across Africa. With our current fund, um, so we joined forces with two other partners that are in other regions in Africa. So another partner is based in Nairobi and a third party is, is based in uh, Johannesburg. And we're investing really in those core markets. I'm, I'm still here in Lagos, of course, um, but we have a $200 million fund that really takes them, um, you know, the, the likes of, of Duplo and takes them to the next level and helps them really scale up across not only their one market being Nigeria or whatever it is, but to other markets across the continent and to help them get to a point where we think that they're either ready, ready to list on a publicly traded stock exchange or, or hopefully for a lot of these, there actually will be a pretty aggressive um, consolidation strategy across the continent. And we wanna build those billion dollar, multi-billion dollar companies um, from our investee companies. So yeah, what we have really seen, um, I'm sure as you can imagine, are a lot more conservative conservatism in the market um, in the past couple of months. Um, and I think it's only just beginning. I think this is going to be a long, cold winter, unfortunately. Um, but we're really seeing a lot of those international investors that were writing Africa checks, probably not doing a lot of work, um, but just doing as kind of a learning exercise. They're pulling back aggressively. They're not writing those checks into Africa. But those international platforms that had an Africa-focused team, they're, they're continuing to write checks. And, and they, they still see the, the market here as something where rather than facing you know, um, reduced consumer spending and high inflation and all of those other worries that you're seeing in technology ecosystems across the world, we're facing a different problem here. We're trying to get the underpenetrated consumer and business into the digital ecosystem. And that market itself is massive. And you're not going to see the same um, slowing growth as you're probably seeing in a lot of other developed markets. So I think that the smart investors who have really thought about their Africa strategy are continuing to deploy checks. Um, to Yale's point, I mean, I mean uh, certainly much lower valuations. Um, they're doing a lot more work on due diligence. So the, the comments on numbers, I mean, we've seen um, due diligence procedures now where 
they're not only digging into the numbers, but they're re requiring access to bank statements to actually verify that what the founders say is reality. Uh, a couple months ago, that wasn't the case. People were writing checks, rounds were rushed. People were taking, I think, a lot of bets based on um, the quality of the team and the market potential that they saw without really verifying numbers. We're now seeing due diligence processes for Series A stage deals of three months, sometimes even longer. Um, what else can I say? Um, I would echo everything um, that he said, maybe to add one more thing. It's not just the growth uh, and momentum that these companies are seeing now. Um, how, what's what is mattering a lot more to investors is, of course, growth matters, customer engagement matters, but it's also how efficient have you been managing your cash and how are your margins um, looking? So if you're, for example, if you've raised $2 million, you've spent that all on customer acquisition and your customers, you know, they, they use the platform um, because of free transaction fees or whatever it is, but but they don't really stick around and, and drive a lot of value on that platform. It doesn't really show that you built something meaningful. And I think a lot of investors, especially in this market, won't be attracted to that growth at all. Um, okay, I'll leave it for, at that. And I'm sure there'll be a lot more questions. Thank you, Lexi. Okay, so we move over to Chinedu now, who will share some perspectives. All right, um, my name is Chinedu. Um, oh no, I lead. Um, a small business that looks after um, small businesses as well. We provide um, software as a service um, that enables um, small businesses to do their day-to-day -day operations uh, from accounting to bookkeeping and um, to their tax management. I'll be speaking from the perspective of one, someone who has been in rooms where decisions are being made about investment, someone who has been in the in the course of getting investments himself, and um, someone who operates within the network of people who also seek investments. And um, I won't be speaking from the perspective that KK talked about how to raise money, but I will be speaking to the things that um, a founder, an entrepreneur needs to know even before he sets out. Okay, um, that's the story I will start about a certain gentleman called Scott. He told the story himself. He, um, he was one of the early startups in the real estate business. And um, he got his investment when he started and um, he was moved by his passion and his ambition to continue to grow. So he continued to get his investment at each round, he started with, um, when he started his firm, he had about 80%. At each round, he went down to um, 60. And five years down the line, because of the speed, um, he created a business that required a lot of funding, a lot of finance, he needed more money. And um, five years down the line, um, he wasn't part of the business again, literally. That's one. And they, what was the lesson out of that engagement? The lesson out of that engagement was that one, he grew faster than he needed to grow. Two, he took more money than he need, that the business needed. So for each time you take money, the pressure comes. And if the pressure comes, if there's money to be taken, you take more money. 
and you take yourself out of the business. It speaks to what um, I think Yele mentioned about only go for money when you need that money. If you don't need it, you don't go for it. Then the other one is um, um, about, okay, it also speaks to getting money when, when you don't need it. When, don't go for money when you don't need it. So a certain gentleman, I was in a room where he came with all the beautiful ideas and um, he said, they asked him, what do you need the money for? The money was to set up a data center. And the CEO of the firm he came to, of a bank, he came to say to him, I can give you my data center. I can give you everything you need to do off your data center. And the gentleman insisted, no, I need cash. And he didn't get that cash. And he didn't get that, um, and he didn't get that investment. So that then speaks to, if people, sometimes it's not funds that is required. If what you need that fund to do, someone comes to you with, um, with an option that gives it to you, it could be a good way. It could be something that at this stage of your work, this would solve your problem. I think that for an entrepreneur, go for it, get it, and use it to um, solve the problem. But most importantly, going into fundraising, ask yourself, or even starting the business, what do I want to do on the long run? Where do I want this thing to be in the next four years, in the next five years? Once you have clarity of that, then you would need, um, you will be more deliberate about it. You'll be more conscious about it. You get in the right cycle, you get advice. Seek advice, very important. And um, you'll be able to get through. Another point I want to also mention is that the journey is not always as smooth as Yele has mentioned it, okay? Um, when it's not smooth, sometimes you need to be patient. At other times, even if when the fund comes, it's not in your best interest, okay? Um, people always speak about entrepreneurship and doing these things from what works, what works. It's also very important to know what does not work. And what does not work is knowing when not to raise funds or when knowing who not to raise funds from, okay? But having known all of these things, it is more about um, the attempt, time and chance perspective and then utilizing whatever fund comes your way in a, more, in, in a very deliberate um, manner and then using it for the purpose you, you set out for. Because when you use it for the purpose you set out for, there's clarity, it opens the door for you to get to the next round. And when you don't use it for the purpose, sometimes it leads to people becoming um, um, going out of their way not to do the right things, not to say the right things. Issues of covenant break, uh, uh, corporate governance will break down and ethics will break down and it will not um, um, work. So my um, summary of my perspective is that one, go for fundraising when it's uh, utterly necessary, raise because there's a balance, you need to balance um, two extras. One, raising sufficient money that you need, and um, and um, one, ensuring that you have, you know, not, not you have control, ensuring that you're able to continue to manage that business. Because if you outrun yourself, you will lose control. Sometimes that control is also necessary to drive the vision. Okay, 
And um, sitting in the rooms where those decisions are made, one of the things that people also look out is how much stake do you have in the business? The more you raise these things, and if it's too early and you've lost control, the less likely people are going to trust your ability to continue to run the business and continue and your ability to drive the business into the long run. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jordan. Yes, good round of applause. All right, so now, Yemi, maybe you can share a little bit about your perspective. Yes, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I run Rising Tide Africa. It's a group of female angel investors. What we are focused in is how we would increase women's participation in angel investing so that we can see it as another asset class. Um, this was birthed predominantly because I was in the room of angel investors over and over again, and you see that the gentlemen come and they get funded. And um, a few of us, when we see a lady come out to pitch, we are like, okay, maybe this is our chance. And um, most times, due to no fault of theirs, they don't get funded. They, they, they sort of don't have the confidence or they don't know how to pitch their their, their products or service. And, and, and so we, we, I think myself and Ndidi were in the room one day and we said, we have to make something happen. These guys can't continue taking all this money. And so we, um, there was this lady that came in and pitched and pitched fantastically. She had a great product, but she just couldn't convince the investors. And so we told them, guys, just wait, give us two weeks, three months, um, two weeks, three weeks, we'll bring her back. And so we did. And what, we, what did we do? We just said, build her confidence, let her understand the, re, the, the things that she needed to convey to the investors. And so we started off Rising Tide. Um, today we are 89 members strong and we've invested um, over $2 million. But we take the first bite. Thank you. We, we take the first bite um, and we take the highest risk. So we look at, okay, you're generating revenue. So you have a product or service and you're generating revenue. Um, but people don't still believe in you and you've been bootlegging, bootleg bootstrapping uh, for a period of time. And it's very tough to be an entrepreneur. And so we look at you and one of the critical things that we look at is, who is this person really? And why are they doing this? Is it just a me too? Or is this just circumstance because you don't have a job and you have a laptop and so you decide that you want to start up and I'm, I'm that. So it's pretty much the team that we look at. First of all, the passion that the entrepreneur brings in, the value proposition of what their product or service is looking at. You know, um, our, our portfolio is made up of 14% um, FinTech and um, what, what, we, what we do is making sure that as a fintech company, you are not only automating, but you're making things more simple, leveraging on technology to ensure that, you know, the customers get what they're doing. I mean, sometimes we say that, you know, the fintechs are stripping the, 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 more, the different functions of a bank or a financial institution and making it more innovative, simpler, 
and making sure that the customers really have what they need. And, and so for us, um, apart from the team and whether they have the experience or whether they have their serial entrepreneurs, one of the things that we look for is whether the product is, whether they are early to market or you're late. Maybe this thing would, would really pick up in the next one year. And so we decide that, okay, um, it's not your time, but let's invest. And if we invest, we then help you with the support service that you need to make you investment ready so that the likes of Lexi, when we take our products to them, they will say, yes, this is a company we want to invest in. One, it helps the entrepreneur grow. Two, it helps us exit. So we are preparing you. And um, I must say that, really we focus on female-owned, female-led and gender diverse um, um, startups because of the funding gap, um, access to funds that is limited to the female and because we are entrepreneurs ourselves and we understand the difficulty that they would have gone through. And um, increasingly, I mean, three years ago, I wouldn't have said this, but increasingly the women are coming out. And so we have loads and loads of opportunities that we have to invest in that we're trying we you know we go through now we have more due diligence because we have to select out of um so many more um and, and it's important to also understand that you know in in terms of when you are um saying we are saying that you're investment ready for us you should be able to convince not only your investors, but have on you know have the kind of structure that would that would outlast you as an as a startup or as a founder, and that is one of the critical things that we look at. What is your scalability and what is the sustainability of your business at any point in time, particularly for the fintechs. Um, you know, if you're solving a, giving a value proposition that would only be, you know, um, would, would only make a, a meaning in Nigeria. And if you look at other economies that are like Nigeria and your FinTech cannot grow into that economy, then you are not scalable. And so we just um, jettison you. So I'll stop there for now uh, and then we we'll take it up. Thank you. Thank you. Applause. Okay, so now we're going to open up to questions. Uh, I don't know if you've been putting questions up there, but if you haven't, I have a couple myself. Let me see what we have um, on Slido. Has anybody submitted anything on Slido? Okay. All right. Well, while okay. Okay. So the first question is. How will the owner of a company know if the investor's funds are questionable? Yeah, so that's, a, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, you should be doing KYC on your investors for sure. I mean, that's both um, soft side, but also on the legal side. So we've actually had, um, and it's not just the uh, questionability of that investor, by the way, it's also whether they're an accredited investor. So you, if you're, um, depends on where you're domiciled, but most technology companies are structuring in the US or Netherlands, um, sometimes the UK. 
you are required by law to make sure that your investors have either a certain net worth or salary that makes them a smart investor. And we have had um, companies in our portfolio, by the way, that have come under SEC investigations because they didn't do such a good job on verifying that those investors were accredited. So that's also something that's very important. Um, there are also uh, third-party um, resources, software tools, um, databases that you can either, some are subscription-based that you can pay to check to make sure none of your investors are on the sanctioned list. Something that's super important is also um, making sure that your investors are not politically exposed people. And sometimes that can actually seem like a positive thing when you need a little bit of helping hand dealing with ministers. Um, but a lot of your investors may in the future look very um, uh, aggressively at this and, and, and maybe not even want to participate if some of those investors are alongside of them. So that's just from me as well. But also speak to other if they're an active investor and they've backed technology companies, speak to some of the companies that they've backed. How helpful have they been as an investor? Um, some investors um, have maybe pushed aggressive terms or have actually done things that have been harmful to their investee companies. And there's actually um, some you know, forums that you have to be a founder to join um, the where people also share information on how they've had experience with their investors. Thanks, Lexi. Yes, it's quite true that it's very tempting to want to take the money, but if you don't do your due diligence, then you could run into problems uh, down the road. Okay, so the next question seems to be for Yele because it's speaking about Duplo and it's asking how many rejections you got before you got your first round of funding. Uh, that's a very good question. Um, <clears throat> so I think we have 60 plus investors and I probably spoke to about within the both rounds, probably over 100 investors. So if you didn't match, that's about 48% said no. And um, as a founder, you just have to keep on going. A lot of fund, uh, investors are going to say no to you because they don't understand your market. They don't think you're good enough to build a product, which is valid as well. Um, but there will also be investors that strongly believe in your product, believe in your team, and believe in the market. So yeah, just keep on going. But yeah, about I'll say about 38% said no to Diplo. Um, we, we advise our companies to look at it as a sales funnel. So it is really a volumes game. Try, you know, it's, it's obviously great to understand who you're speaking to. And some of those investors will be more likely to be a good fit for your company. But I mean, we, probably if you get to the point where you're cold calling, it's like, you know, 5% hit rate. Um, so it can be super low. Um, always ask investors, especially if they're active in the ecosystem, who else they think you should speak to, even if they're not willing to introduce you directly, because that's actually a big ask for very busy people, but just get a couple more names and find out who are those other investors that you should reach out to. Thank you. Okay, the next question is uh, probably someone who's dealing with the situation now where the a major investor wants to pull their money out of the startup. I don't know if anybody, any of the panelists want to speak to it. Okay. okay, but I, I feel like I'm taking airtime. Um, so if they have signed anything, anything beyond a term sheet, if they've actually signed an investment agreement, they um, are 
they have no legal basis to be able to pull money out. And that is absolutely not something that should be tolerated. And that's something they should have understood from the very beginning. If there's a situation where it's just a term sheet, uh, a lot of times people can, you know, have a commitment on the table and pull their term sheet. Um, given terms in term sheets, almost in every situation, they're not legally enforceable. So that absolutely does happen. I would say the best thing to do in that case is to say, thank you. Um, we would really appreciate your help and support down the line. Let's keep in contact and never speak poorly about them because it will come around at some point. If there is a case where the investor is in your company and they want out, so also absolutely no way they can get out, but you can offer to them in a future round that you would be happy to put the offer of their secondary sale up to other investors. Um, typically how we've seen these structured is about a 20% discount to whatever the company is raising at, at that round. Um, so it's, you know, it's showing that you really want to help support them. You want to help them get liquidity, but you're bound by agreements with all of your investors. Thank you. Okay. So this next question I'm going to direct at Yemi, um, and it has to do with getting the attention because you spoke earlier about what you experienced or what you saw happen where people were, were pitching. Now, here is someone who wants to get the attention of potential investors so that they're able to pitch their business idea to them. Are there avenues or any tips or suggestions? Pretty straightforward. Um, uh, some people stalk me on LinkedIn, for instance. Um, so you, you can use all sorts of medium to, to connect with investors. Investors are looking for good deals, right? I see pitch decks on, on my LinkedIn. I see, I see pitch decks in my emails and I, and I share it with the investment team. Um, also, it's important for you to be able to network. Um, network, go to events like this, network with your peers. You know, and then you would find access to where you can get investors. Um, th there are so many other avenues. There are different groups also on LinkedIn. I keep saying LinkedIn because that's where a lot, a lot of us are. Um, there are different groups uh, where the investors are on LinkedIn. Let's check out profiles also. Um, uh, there are, I mean, if you look at them, um, there are certain um, um, uh, platforms that you can you can go to VC for instance, for instance, and put your deck there, and and you'll see a group of investors out there. So there are different types of platforms that you can use um, to access them um, for investors. Apart from you know events like this where you where you meet them. Can I can I just add to that as well? I think um, founders are the most effective way to get through to investors. Um, I get so many friends reaching out to me and I just pass it on to a lot of investors. So I think that's probably the most effective way if you're a first time founder, if you have a network, I think just make friends with other founders and that would just be, that would, yeah, that would make it much faster to get through to investors. I think that's yeah, a very good idea and team. Also, just to add, when an investor says no, they're, they're going to pass on your round, that doesn't mean they will always pass on your future rounds. So a great way to keep investors or visibility in front of investors is to have invest, you can set it up in MailChimp or whatever, have investor updates that you send to your investor database just to keep them 
seeing your metrics and your traction, I open all of those. I actually open those more than pitch decks I receive because it's a concise way for me to really see how those numbers are growing. And then there gets to be a point where I'm like, wow, this is starting to look like it's in my stage, looking good. Let's, let's get serious and engage. Thanks. So I guess um, look at other founders, don't take no personally, but keep updating. And um, definitely um, thanks Yemi for even plugging this event. And these events are helpful for networking and, and getting to meet investors. Chine, I don't know if you have any points on this particular topic. What I wanted to speak to was to the fact that um, it network, having a, um, accessing networks such as this and engaging other people is um, a very suitable way of, of getting it done. Um, even searches sometimes, especially if you are doing, if you are undergoing a project that no other person has undergone in the market. Um, if you do detailed searches, you can get some leads, which you can then bounce off um, other people that you know, and then can um, get you to where you are. Um, the other one, I've been stressing the fact that speaking to people that have already, um, other founders, um, um, would help a lot is that some founders, someone that says no to you, what I'm looking for is X. By the time you engage that person, um, by, by the time you engage, you so, say, oh, I met someone who said, um, what I'm looking for is this. I think this will fit into it. And it opens the door, makes it um, a shorter cut to get access to be able to engage. Yeah. Thank you. The next question is directed at Yemi. And it's really just a very straightforward, confirm if it's only women-led business, businesses that you're, you fund or you have fund. Women owned, women led, gender diverse management and team. So we have male founded businesses in our portfolio. Um, so, so if your, your, your team is predominantly female, um, we, we do fund you. If you have a product like Eden Life that services the, gen the female gender, then we fund you. So you skew towards that. Thank you. Yes, definitely. Okay, so the next question is directed at Lexi. Um, and it's basically asking if you your Norskin 22 yeah. funds. Um, so no, sorry, not this fund. Um, we, we will have an allocation starting about mid next year that'll be about $10 million that will do probably late seed to pre-series A tickets. Um, right now, we are only doing Series A through B. However, there is a seed stage fund kind of under the same um, family of funds that is doing uh, early stage investments. So um, yeah, they're pre-seed Africa focused fund um, as well. So there is somebody that can, I can help feed those deals through. Okay. Uh, I think the next question has already been answered. Best ways to reach out to investors. We've already covered that. We have, maybe there's one more thing I thought about though, um, if I can just add to that. So the scene, especially at bigger firms like ours, you know, we have an investment team of seven people. Um, it's actually not one of the general partners that's probably the best person to, if you're not getting a lot of traction, like sending a pitch deck to me is probably going to get less traction than sending it to one of our investment managers. 
So they're kind of the, the ones that are handling a lot of the pipeline and flow and then kind of filtering up the deals that we need to take a look at to, to us. So that's another thing. Don't always think that you need to have access to the top decision makers. Sometimes it can be the junior level team members. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, and the next one is about licensing. I don't know that. that um, okay. Yeah, I can speak to that. Okay. Licensing. Okay. Um, for the Nigerian environment, one of the, the, the most trustworthy source that you can um, use to get information about licensing is the, the central bank website. And from the central bank website, you'll be able to see all the categories of licenses um, that are available. And then you now find out which one fits into the, um, which one the idea fits into. Once you know that, and um, you understand what, what it is, you make that connection, then you can then um, write to the central bank, um, the payments department, there's a department for the payment system department. You write into the department and um, I'm sure they will invite you and you'll be able to take it from there through the process of approval in principle um, to the actual approval and then you'll be able to run with it. Thank you. Thank you, Chenidu. Okay, I mean, I think they're going back to you again on the, um, because they're looking at you and saying, please help me. I, I'm not only a female, completely female founded or something. Uh, can you invest in female-led companies, um, CEO with male co-founders? Yes, we do. So, so that, that is um, female-led, it's female-led, female-owned, female-led, gender diverse management and team or a solution that caters for the women. I hope that a female CEO is also a co-founder though. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> okay, uh, next question is for Yele. Uh, when do you think is the best time to apply to Y Combinator as an early stage startup factoring revenue and customer signups? I love the way everyone is calling me Diplo, not Yele. <laughs> Um, when is the best time? Honestly, YC is very, uh, it's very weird. Um, there's no best time to apply to YC. Um, I think for us, what worked was that we, we had some early traction um, and my co-founders had done this before in their previous businesses. Um, so I think what YC looks for is how fast you're growing and then the size of the market and then just um, how solid your team is as well. And the interview is 10 minutes long. You have to be able to clearly define what you're doing in those 10 minutes. Um, so there's no best time, but of course, apply when you have the idea. They actually pick folks with ideas alone. Um, and um, but I think as long as you can clearly describe what you're doing in a nutshell, that should be good enough to get an interview. Um, but yeah, I hope that helps. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, so this next question, uh, I think it's looking at a startup from not necessarily from the point of um, the usual safe or something like that, but it's asking how does a startup decide how much of their profits they are going to share uh, with their investors when they are not public yet. Uh, so they, they don't have a system of shares yet. So I guess they need some education around the area of, okay, so you start something, you get investors in, how do they, how do the investors get benefit it's not going to be in profit sharing necessarily. So there needs to be some education in the answer. Maybe you could for, for, for us, it's sweat equity. I, I hope you, you know, you, you listened to um, Tosin and um, the, um, the lady from 
Corporate governance is very important. Even at the point where you start off your startups, right? It is important for you to actually um, agree on what kind of take out the investor is going to have. Um, for, some, for some businesses, because the investor is helping you out in the beginning, um, helping I, you know, being the key word, you sort of might want to give them sweat equity when you blow, right? Um, for, for others, it is important for you to define exactly how much and what the terms and conditions are. And there's so many, so many models now from safe to compatibles to equity to debt. So you need to define at an early stage so that you not get down and, and you know, something that was in your ideation stage and, and you got a, a 10,000 Naira. Now you, you are making uh, $10 million and somebody says, I, I want a certain percentage. So it's important that you do your, your put into your corporate governance very early. Thank you. I think we have time for one last question. Uh, and I guess this is for the investors. What, at what point in the startup is the startup too early to receive investment? So maybe you speak to the friends and family around and all the things like that. Uh, when when do you start taking outside investment, if at all? Uh, maybe I'll start it off with a joke. Um, so you saw um, this recent round that the previous WeWork founder raised from his previous investors, 350 million lar largest ticket they've ever done. And investors were like, look, man, there's nothing here. It's just an idea. And you guys, you've screwed up before. How can, how can we have any faith in you? And I don't know if you guys know the founder's name, but Andrew says, don't worry, I'm a new man. <laughs> so, so anyway, the point is, is that I, I don't know if there, there is, obviously there's a whole bunch of different factors involved. If you are a very successful founder or, or maybe just a founder that has shown he can build the business and you just have an idea, that could be enough. Um, if you're not, then, then certainly strong traction. And I'll, I'll pass it over to the other side on friends and family and <laughs> angels. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's never too early, really. Some, some, sometimes we invest in your idea. I mean, there is um, um, one of our portfolio that, you know, didn't look as if it was going to take off or anything, but we invested. And today, I mean, the they're all over the place, right? So um, it's, it's important to know that first, um, investors really want that connect with the, with the, with the founder, um, at the trust, the build of the relationship, because it's really like a marriage um, going down the line. And if that may be what they're investing in. That's your, I, I know I can do this um, 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 uh, attitude of yours, maybe what they're investing in. And somewhere down the line, you then get a good product or service. Okay. All right. So we've run out of time for this. Uh, okay. One last question. Uh, are there any <laughs> major valuation methodologies investors prefer? Just, just be factual about your valuation. You see, what, what is going on in the market right now just shows that 
a lot of uh, uh, um, startups were overvalued. So now they're using this as a negotiating point. Um, I will reduce my valuation for you if you invest on my following round. You know, it just says a lot about you. Um, when you, you, you started off, you were doing the Me Too. Um, Flutter Wave was um, valued by Y Combinator at $2 million. I'm doing something the same, and so I should be $2 million. So just be very factual about your valuation. There are different methodologies, but what is it that 12 months down the line you can achieve and would meet that kind of valuation should be what you're thinking about. I don't know, Lexi. Um, no, I, I would definitely echo that. I mean, one thing, just maybe a, a, something that I might be a little bit um, counterintuitive, but I would never be the first one to put forward your valuation. Um, if you're too high, it makes it look like you don't know what you're talking about. And a lot of times investors will be like, not even in the right ballpark. I'm not even going to engage. Um, I think it's a lot to, uh, you know, certainly have an idea internally where you believe your company should be valued, but try to work with investors and try to get an indication of investors how they're thinking about valuation. Maybe some of the valuations of companies that they've seen in the market. Investors have... Um, an, advantage, an information advantage over you because they see a lot of flow. We, we see all the companies, we see what rounds are raising at. Even the headline stories, you see a company raising $50 million round, billion dollar valuation. We know that there's other terms in that that doesn't actually make that valuation what it looks like on headline numbers. So um, yeah, and then in, in terms of methodology, I mean, look, it depends on your stage, right? Like probably your easiest as an early stage company is some sort of revenue multiple or GMV multiple. But again, um, to Ellie's point, we're looking very critically on what is actually in GMV um, to, to probably come out to a number. But in a lot of times, you know, you will be raising some sort of convertible equity instrument um, and there's a cap and there's a discount in there. Now there's usually most favored nations. I mean, valuation matters but there's lots of other things that matter in your term sheet as well. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I think we've come to the end of this panel discussion. I would like you to please give a round of applause for all the panelists for speaking. And I'll now hand over to Caroline who's... Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Thank you to our panelists. I hope we learned a lot. Yeah, so we've come to the end. However, before we move, okay. So when we're done, um, we're gonna go downstairs um, to have breakfast slash, okay, well, breakfast to be honest. And then there's um, an exhibition as well, um, which the MD mentioned that we're going to, um, yeah, enjoy. Now I'm going to ask um, Isaac to come give the closing remark and then we can make our way downstairs. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I think give her a, a, a round of applause. I think she's done a fantastic job. Well done. Uh, mine is very, very, very brief. And uh, let me start um, by thanking uh, our panelists, our speakers uh, for, for coming. We know how busy you are and uh, to find time to come and join us here on our second breakfast series. I think it's, it's quite commendable and thank you very, very, very much. I think we have found it, I'm hoping that you have found it uh, useful and um, it should be able to help us as we build the fintech industry. I also want to thank all of you for, for coming. 
uh, it's a busy morning, it's a Friday. And uh, also for you being here, I think it's useful. There are several things that I've picked that I just wanted to, uh, just to mention as we, as we close. I think corporate governance is key. We are, as an Ecobank, we are deeply committed to the FinTech industry. And we want to make sure that this FinTech breakfast address very, very practical things that speak to the industry. And I think corporate governance is key. I, was, I think it's part by the discussion that I've gone in here. I, I look at corporate governance almost as a, as a time bomb. It lies somewhere on the road until you step on it. And when you step on it, then you are finished. And I think for the fintechs and, uh, that are growing, we cannot overemphasize how critical that one is. And I think as a bank uh, doing business in you know, 34 countries, that three of which are in Africa, very, very much involved in the payment industry. We have an obligation to be able to guide our fintechs to go in the right direction. And so the topics that we discuss in this breakfast series are very, very critical uh, to you building a very sustainable business. I think corporate governance is one of those. Whether you're looking at board selection, customer selection, transaction selection, uh, because it's about what you do and what you don't do. There's a lot of things that you can make money from but you don't do them because they are not right. And if you don't have a strong board, if you don't have that culture, corporate governance from the start, down the road, it will hit you. And when it hits you, it's bad, to, it takes time to recover. And so as we work with fintechs across all our countries, we want to make sure that we guide them using whatever knowledge we have built in this financial service industry over the last couple of years, and to be able to guide you to navigate it well so that you can be able to land your company at the right place at the right time and so you can be able to build something that's strong that lasts that endures all big companies like ecobank they were started as an idea just like you and we, we believe that by helping you and navigate this, uh, this series i think it will be good for you uh, data protection sustained growth those are all things that came in and i think from our uh, this last panel, I was just looking at Jamie and uh, feeling a bit jealous. She keeps saying, you know, it's female, 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 female. And I was like, um, I wish the men could also say, you know, it's only men, 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 men. But very, very inspiring. And I think, I, I know I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of, you know, fintech, a lot of people with ideas here. And I think if you are a, 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 a female, and you see a role model saying they are there to guide you. I think it's inspiring, very, very, very inspiring. And so we want to thank you specifically, uh, you know, for you, for you, for you being here. So I think with that, I want to also appreciate our MD Bolajinawal for being here uh, this morning to the opening remarks. And I want to encourage all of us. Yes, please give him a round of applause. It's, a, it's, a, it's great it's, uh, to have you. And of course, our exco members who are here. Uh, you'll interact with them downstairs for the breakfast. And I really want to encourage you, go down. There's some very nice photographs there. You want to make sure you take a photo and share. Um, you know, you'll thank me later for, you know, for, going, down, for going down there uh, this morning. And as with that, I want to say thank you to everybody and take a bow as always. You're fantastic. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'm done. 
Thanks a lot. So can I just ask my speakers to stay? We're going to take a photo um, with the MD. Um, and yes, a special thank you to Ms. Yemi and to Lexi and to Tosin for speaking about the importance of gender inclusivity. Um, I tweeted about it last week and they almost killed me. So it's good to hear actual people in the industry who know what they're talking about.